Friends and family, thank you guys so much for tuning in to Every Day is a Saturday with your host, me, myself, and I, Brian Roof. Today, you guys are going to be watching or listening to uh, episode 14, When I Deploy to the Middle East. I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in. And if you guys haven't uh, had the chance to check me out on YouTube, I am now up and running on YouTube. Go check me out over there and subscribe. And if you guys are watching me on YouTube and you haven't had the chance to go check out some of the audio podcasts uh, from when I first started uh, this whole thing up, you can go check me out on Spotify, Anchor, or uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, pretty much any of the podcast uh, platforms uh, that are out there. Um, once again, I thank you guys so much. I am finally settled in, moved in, so I am able to kind of continue and uh, get back on to having the daily, uh, well, weekly shows and um, also some of the interviews. I hope you guys have been enjoying them up to this point. But without further ado, let's go ahead and get into our buddy check. It's buddy check time, guys. All right. Hey. Just want to make sure everybody out there, I want to make sure you guys are doing all right. I know that uh, life out there doesn't always, you know, treat us well. And there's going to be those days that are really rough. There's going to be those days that, you know, you're, you're getting your wins. And, and sometimes you just got to get used to having the losses too. I know it's rough, you know, because being a Marine, something that uh, we were always trained is to never, you know, give up, never fail and things of that nature. But, uh, you know, ever since I've gotten out of the Marine Corps, I've really had to learn about, you know, failing, you know, and, and realizing that, you know, sometimes when you fail, it's not always a defining moment in your life. It's not always what, you know, defines you at the end of the day. It's just a, you know, a, a moment in time that you can get past. I assure you, I've definitely had some really, really shitty days um, where I've, you know, almost felt like giving up myself. Um, but you know, I just, uh, you know, still, I always have a fire in myself to never give up and there's, you know, so I, as long as that fire is always lit, I'm going to keep on going. And, uh, my family, the people around me, they always, you know, obviously are part of what keeps me lit. So, you know, trying to find a good support group. And if you don't really have a good support group and you don't have anybody to talk to, there's uh, a crisis lifeline out there. It's called, uh, you dial 988 and you press one and, you know, it puts you in touch with someone who can probably talk to you and help you through the mindset, hopefully uh, that you need help, or they can maybe put you in the right direction and get you the assistance that you may need. So don't be afraid to reach out if you need to. And also, if you're also in a great moment, great time, reach out to some of your friends and some of your families and, you know, maybe you haven't talked to them in a while, just say hi. You never know how much that could mean to someone. So you know, just check up on your friends, your family, your loved ones, and make sure they're doing okay. I hope everybody has a great day. Bang. All right, friends and fam, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into episode 14, when I deploy to the Middle East. All right, guys, so if you guys just tuning in for the very first time, you guys uh, want to go check out my previous episodes. You guys can go ahead and go check those out. Then you guys kind of understand how we got here. Um, if not, then uh, you guys understand that when I left off, um, I was under starting to get to uh, the understanding that I may be deploying over to the Middle East. 
some of the guys in my unit had already got uh, their orders and were already over there for the first wave to be uh, kind of like an early party to start setting up some of the camp. Um, so before I end up getting um, to it, so this I, I have a couple of things I'm able to share with you guys now, especially now that we're on video and I came across a couple of things. Now, before I ended up uh, deploying over to the Middle East, I ended up getting a promotion um, to corporal. So um, I'll go ahead and read you guys these. So uh, the orders were uh, typed up in January, but the orders did not take effect until uh, January 1st. So uh, here we go. To all who shall see these presents greeting, know ye that reposing special trust and confidence in the fidelity and abilities of Brian William Roof, I do appoint this Marine, a corporal in the United States Marine Corps, to the rank as such from the first day of January 2003. This appointee will therefore and carefully and diligently discharge the duties of the grade to which appointed by doing and performing all manner of things thereunto pertaining. And I do strictly charge and require all personnel of lesser grade to render obedience to appropriate orders and the appointee is to observe and follow such orders and directions as many be given from time to time uh, superior acting according to the rules and articles governing the discipline of the armed forces of the United States of America given under by the hand of First Meth Headquarters Group, MHG, the first day of January 2003. So, I end up getting promoted, and they pin me on uh, January 1st. And uh, when you pick up NCO, uh, you earn your blood stripes, and that's when you actually get to wear a red stripe on the side of your... Um, uh, dress blues and so um you know they do a little bit of an initiation um when you get pinned they for one don't put the pins on the back and you get guys boom panda pound the uh chevrons into your uh skin feels pretty good <laughs> then uh you go through what's called the gauntlet with ncos and uh they line up and uh basically knee you in your legs and i i mean i doubt they do that to this day because of hazing and stuff you know what i mean so um, i'm sure they've calmed down a lot from that but uh <laughs> anyways it was um quite the experience i'm glad i did pick up nco um because right around january 8th of 2003 i get my next set of paperwork now this right here are my orders to deploy over to the Middle East. I'll go ahead and read you guys uh, how this goes. So, I do not know who Rhonda Wright is, but it says, Dear Mrs. Rhonda Wright, Subject, Notification of Intent to Vacate from Quarters in the case of Corporal Brian Roof. Gives my social, gives my whole, uh, you know, my branch. This is to certify that the service member stated above is pending 
temporary additional duty orders in support of Operation uh, Endearing Freedom for a period of six months. The point of contact this command is Staff Sergeant Rattan, and it gives a phone number and then sincerely RB uh, some Reyes, S1 officer by direction of the commanding officer. So I got those on January 8th. And then I would be on a plane on uh, January 15th to head over to uh, the Middle East. Um, now, I do kind of remember um, when I got the orders, I was uh, kind of nervous. But again, once again, I was kind of suspect suspected of receiving these orders. Um, because there was already guys from my unit who already uh, had went downrange. So when I got them, I was like, oh, okay, now I'm part of the second wave. And now um, I got to mentally prepare myself for this. Um, you know, and, you know, being, uh, I think I was like, what, 22 years old? Or, or, yeah, I think I was 21, actually. Turned 22 over there. Um, so, you know, I was super nervous. I ended up going and getting myself a tattoo. I... I don't really know what the hell I was thinking. I obviously wasn't thinking very clearly. And I got myself a tattoo. Um, it was basically, I already had a tattoo, but I kind of did some work around that tattoo. Um, so it wasn't like I got a whole fresh brand new tattoo. I just kind of, um, you know, I got work done. And then I really, like, I really shouldn't have done this as I'm going over to a really hot, you know, desert, uh, where it's super sandy and stuff. And now you got to take care of this wound and stuff. And it just wasn't the smart idea. I, I wouldn't recommend getting yourself a tattoo before you are going on deployment. Now, so I go and um, get the tattoo and it's kind of late at night. Um, I, we had to be in formation. I don't, I don't remember what time it was or not necessarily in formation. Well, yeah, sorry. We had to get in formation and then we ended up, getting on a bus and from the buses we went to marsh uh march air force base which is um i can't remember i think it's like around riverside i'm not exactly sure where um but anyways we took a commercial flight out of march air force base they had about 300 marines loading onto the ship we had to load up our we had our m16s with us we had uh sea bags we had our uh packs with us you know, obviously all our gas masks, you know, basically almost every kind of issue uh, that we, you know, anything that the government issued us, we basically took with us because um, we were going on deployment and, you know, on my orders, it did say six months, but it, they can always extend your orders. So um, we all get over there. Everybody, like I said, we load up onto this plane um, we fly out, we land over in, uh, Frankfurt, Germany and Frankfurt, Germany. I remember it's like, kind of like, uh, it was cold there. It was, uh, snow on the ground and stuff like that. Um, and we are just as supposed to be in Germany for a short period of time. It was kind of supposed to be a little bit of a layover. And then we were supposed to, uh, you know, fly out from there over to Kuwait. So, um, now as we get ready to go load up to the plane, they saying they're, they're saying to, I guess, some of the higher ups that 
they're having issues, technical issues with the plane and that we can't, you know, load up and that we're going to have to stay the night here so they can fix the plane. So now we're like, oh, shoot. Now, you know, what are we, what are we going to do? There's no, you know, you know, we're not from Germany and stuff like that. And this is new to all of us. So uh, they basically tell us that some of us have to go to the armory, take the weapons over to an armory, and then they're going to take everybody over to a hotel. So that, you know, we're like, oh, shoot. All right. Um, so they went ahead and volunteered the people they needed to and got those guys, took all our M16s. Those people were responsible and took all that stuff over to the armory. All right, so the rest of us ended up loading up into uh, buses and they transported us all over to uh, this hotel and they put two to a room. And at this point in time, we got there, it was kind of like the evening time. They were okay with us going down to the bar area and, and drinking at the bar. Probably wasn't a good idea on their um, behalf, but that's nevertheless, that's what they did. And w one of the rules were, um, is they didn't want us to leave the hotel. Well, you know, Marines, we, we find a way to do things sometimes. And, uh, when there's a will, there's a way. So, <laughs> um, we ended up, uh, selecting and I, I was kind of one of the selectees. Uh, we had some staff NCOs. He wanted some NCOs to go with all these, you know, couple of people's ATMs to run them over to go get ourselves euros because we needed euros over there to, um, to, uh, that was what they used as currency. And, uh, so we didn't have any euros on us. So of course everybody wanted to go get euros. So they sent us over there with everybody's ATM. We go over there all discreet, <laughs> not very discreet though, because again, we're all wearing camis. We're all in our desert camis, you know, and some of us have like boonie covers and stuff like that. And, you know, we're all wearing this kind of camouflage. And so I don't think we stick out very much, but <laughs> we're running down the German streets and we get this money. We go back to the hotel. Well, when we get back to the hotel, man, it was like we came back to this huge party. Um, there was literally bus loads of women getting off and, and entering into in in the hotel. And I mean, it was, it was absolutely crazy. It was like, they knew the Americans were there and they were just coming in there trying to solicit themselves and, um, you know, you know, trying to be prostitutes, I guess, and trying to make money off of the Americans. So, you know, guys were doing their things and, you know, everybody else was going back and drinking at the bar. And I mean, it was absolutely insane. I mean, to the point where we out, we out drank their, they had a dark beer and they had a light beer. We ended up out drinking their whole dark beer. And so they, they were left with just this light beer. And I think we had to be in formation like at zero four in the morning or something. And I just remember everybody was annihilated drunk and we i don't think anybody really slept i mean i think i'd try to go back to and hit the hit rack for like maybe an hour and then um i try to get up and it just 
I'm so hung over because I drank a lot. I mean, we all drank a lot. And so we're coming out and it looks like a war zone when I'm coming out of this hotel. I mean, we got dudes just puking in the hotel, in, uh, in the, um, hallways we got guys getting carried out we got guys that just can't even stand and you know and we're all trying to get into the elevators and we're just everybody's swaying and and just some people are bent over we're we're in bad shape and here we are we have to go into formation we all go down and uh, and they they attempt to put us all in formation and i mean some there you know there was some motivators out there who who didn't drink and stuff like that but i would say the vast majority of everybody got annihilated drunk um and so people are just sitting there in formation and and the colonel is just losing his mind on everybody because uh, the formation, there'd be guys that can't even stand in the formation. They keep telling, put that son of a bitch off, off, you know, to the curb. He can't even stand in fucking formation. What a disgrace. And you guys, you guys are uh, on duty and you guys are annihilated. And uh, man, he just ripped into us. Um, I mean, they did tell us we could go party. And of course, you know, <laughs> with us we took that to we can just go get dumb you know white girl wasted type drunk you know so that's that's exactly what we did and man um it, it, it was a lot of fun but when we all got on that bus i tell you it was dead ass silence i mean everybody was just so tired everybody slept the whole ride over back to the airport um, we get back to the airport. They got us all over and uh, we're sitting down waiting again for our flight to get on flight. Everybody's sleeping there. They tell us to board our flight. We get on our flight. Everybody sits down. Everybody's knocked out again. I mean, people are just just dumb drunk, dude. And I can't even express it. And we couldn't even talk. We were so tired. And so I remember I, and I'm one of them, I'm really drunk and tired and we're on the flight and sleeping and all of a sudden over the intercom, they're like saying that we're going to have to do an emergency landing. We're like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, I'm like, am I thinking oh man, am I having a bad dream here? And they're like, we're going to need to do a bad uh, emergency uh, landing. We're having issues with the landing gear and we're like, what? So they're going through all these procedures. They're making us put our um, hands between our arms and, and we have to tuck and, you know, basically get kind of in a fetal position. And uh, they made us do that as they land. Obviously, we landed okay. Now we're back again at Frankfurt, Germany. And I, I'm, I had slept. I'm thinking we got far. I didn't know. I'm like, where are we at? They're like, we're back where we left. I'm like, oh, shit. We just did a full circle around. <laughs> um, so when we offload the plane, uh, they put us back. And then again, as we're sitting there in the wait, and everybody's again knocked out, wait, sleeping. Some guys are probably starting to come to a little bit. Um, now uh, they tell us again, well, because there's technical issues, we're not going to be able to fix this in time. You guys go ahead and we'll go ahead and put you guys off into hotels again. 
So again, here we are for the second night in a row, going ahead and putting us into a hotel. Same kind of routine where they got certain guys going to the armory and certain guys going to the hotel. Well, lo and behold, guess what I get voluntold to do this time. Hey, devil dog, I need you to go to the, to the, to the armory. Great. So I'm less than thrilled that I have to go to the Dagon Armory because I'm, you know, I'm thinking, here we go again. We get to go into the hotels and get to have a good old party and have a good time. And, you know, I'm going to miss out, uh, and, you know, because I'm going to be stuck going to this damn armory. And how long is this going to take? <laughs> so, and we, you know, whenever you get voluntold to do something in the Marine Corps, um, it's, it's likely a suck ass, uh, type of, uh, job that you're getting voluntold to do. So anyways, get, you know, I, we go to the armory. We got to put all the, the weapons away, stuff like that. So we offload all these, uh, weapons and, uh, our weapon back then was the M16A2 service rifle. Um, so put all that stuff into the armory and then get back onto the bus head over to um the hotel and when i get into the hotel i'm expecting like a raging party again you know i'm thinking yeah this time i get in and they have us go up into the front desk to get go check in to get our room and it's like very oddly quiet in there and i'm like damn what you know what's going on where's everybody at uh then there's like staff and co's kind of standing around and some officers and uh, one of the staff and COs comes up and he's like, Hey, devil dog, when you get your uh, room, you're going to go up to your room and you're going to stay there for the rest of the night. And I'm like, what? Man? Like, you know, like he's like, yeah, there was a curfew. Um, they enforce, they're enforcing the curfew. So everybody's already, um, been told to go up. So we're like, what? So by the time we get there, these guys this time because of how crazy we were the night prior they went ahead and put a curfew on and so now um these guys have staff and co's at each level sitting there guarding you know uh to make guarding each level to make sure no one leaves their stinking room so my like, gosh damn it so now i go up to my room and it's kind of cool though because this time they only put one of us in each of the rooms. They didn't double us up or maybe they did. And I didn't know. I don't know. I got my own room. So I had my own room. I went in there. I was like, man, I, I found this robe. It was a nice plush little robe. I was like, oh yeah. They had like a, like a, like nice little tub. I was like, hmm, I guess I'll uh, make a little tub. So I, I made myself like a nice little bubble bath. And you know, after I got out, put on my robe and, you know, flick through the stations. There wasn't really much TV to watch, obviously, because I'm not German and I had no clue how what German was. And they may have had maybe one, one or two U.S. channels, which were like boring ass news or something. Nothing to write home about. And I, and once again, I know I've probably beaten this with a dead horse, but we didn't have cell phones that had great little things where I can go on and watch YouTube videos or you know, TikToks or whatever to kind of throw and entertain my time. So I was just like, all right, you know what? I'm going to make the best of this and just crash on out. So I went ahead and I got myself like a really great night's sleep. 
Um, I felt really good because I was kind of still hungover. We did need that night to kind of get ourselves. And also, you know, here we are jet lagged and stuff like that. We're trying to deal with a time change. You know, I want to say it was like, um, I don't know, 11 or something like that hours difference. I, I know sometimes when we was, it was morning for us, it was like evening for them, for you, for the U S and stuff like that. So, um, when we, uh, finally, uh, uh, get up in the next morning, we all go into formation, uh, get ourselves back on the plane. And this time we fly over successfully over to Kuwait. And now when we get off and the plane on Kuwait, you know, it's, it's crazy. It is like the desert desert, uh, very open, you know, and you could, it's just crazy how, uh, deserty it is. Well, we get there and there's these buses waiting for us. And these buses are totally covered. Like you can't really see out of them. You kind of ha- can, but there's like mad curtains. Cause it's like so hot. It gets really hot there. I guess that's kind of a way that they try to keep their passengers cool. I don't know. <laughs> Feels like a dang oven, but um, we get there in, uh, now it's around January 16th, January 17th, January 18th timeframe. I don't know. I know I flew out around January 15th. I really start losing track of time as I'm over there. So, um, we get onto these buses and these buses are very sketchy. I'm telling you, you know, we're, we're, they got these guys driving and, um, you know, we're, we're, we're just getting used to this lay of land. Um, there's certain rules too over there that you got to kind of um, buy by uh, because of the way that they take insults and stuff like that. Um, like giving a thumbs up over there is not, uh, you know, you don't give thumbs up over there. Um, things of like that, things of those nature. You don't really shake or use your, I think it's uh, left hand or something to that nature because they use that to wipe themselves and stuff like that. So they're custom and courtesies are a little bit different. So uh, they did try to give us a little bit of insight and, and gave us a warning of certain things like do not do this and don't do that and, and make sure when you do this, you're doing that. Um, just to, to, to try to not insult them or, you know, make things in, any worse. Because uh, uh, some of the people were happy we were, we were there and some of them were pretty pissed that we were there and didn't want us there at all. So, um, you know, we definitely didn't want to insult them any further. So we're driving along on these buses and, um, it's, it's, it, you know, at this point in time, it's, I'm kind of in and out of sleep because I'm, I'm tired, but I'm also at this point in time starting to get super anxious and, and wondering like, okay, where am I fucking going? This is crazy. It's total, you know, foreign land. I have no clue, you know, what I'm getting myself into at this point in time. So we're sitting there driving through and finally we get to um, our destination, which was a place called Camp Commando. And this is located in Kuwait, which is kind of on the border of um, Iraq and, and Kuwait kind of. So we offload and I'm just like, you know, looking in like, wow, this is crazy. There's just like a couple of tents. There's a lot of big 20 footers there. Um, and then 
So the reason why I'm there now is I'm kind of an early party. The second wave is here to offload ships and stuff like that to bring um, the vehicles, the equipment and stuff like that off of these ships. So that way when everybody, all the units and everybody else comes over, all their stuff will be already staged and ready for them. And all they got to do is basically, you know, get in, get their drivers and, and roll out to wherever their destination was. In the Middle East, there was a lot of different camps. I was at Camp Commando. There was like Camp Fox. There was uh, Camp Doha. Um, I Jeez, I can't even think of all the names right now, but there was Coyote, uh, just a whole bunch of names. And as I'm sitting here saying all this stuff, they're now starting to float through my head. But um, so all these different units that had to come through just would take their stuff and then go off to the respective areas. Um, and also we had to be trained and learn how to drive these big vehicles and stuff like that. So we could obviously offload them. So uh, Motor T would take us out training. And one of these times that Motor T would take us out training, this time it wasn't necessarily to um, teach us really how much to drive. It was more like, getting familiar with how to take contact with whether it comes left or right and how to exit a vehicle and things of that nature. So we take out some uh, newer guys that were combat engineers. I'm supply. Um, we have the motor T guy who's uh, considered the a driver. I'm sitting in the middle seat. Then we have a um, combat engineer. He's a sergeant and he's sitting in the um, front seat. Then we have kind of the same situation in another vehicle that's trailing us behind. And now we're taking these guys out to get them familiar with driving the seven tons as well as kind of the area and how to, you know, how to maneuver the seven tons. Well, the sergeant that I'm driving with, um, you know, we're driving around and, and he's, he's, he's kind of a wild guy, um, but he's driving around going super crazy and one of these points of time when we're driving, we can see something like silver in, it's kind of sticking out in the dirt. And we're like, what the hell is that? So um, we stop the car, we get the guy, I mean, or the seven ton, <laughs> the car. We stop the seven ton and the guys behind us, we got them stopping. Um, we get out, we go and we're like, what the fuck is that? So we go and look and, and gosh dang, it's a proximity mine that's been out there probably since the desert storm time and probably got fought, forgot about. So we're like, Oh my gosh, here we are. We're driving through this desert and it's kind of on, you know, marked air territory. We probably shouldn't be driving through, um, desert late, you know, but we are, we're just kind of driving where there's not any, um, dirt roads or anything like that. We're just driving through the desert. And, um, when we realize like, oh my gosh, we're going through like mines and stuff like that. Now we got to be careful. So the sergeant kind of tries to go find a way out of here without going through the whole desert. We want to try to find more of like a, uh, you know, defined road that, you know, you can tell trucks and stuff like that have been on. So we're not, you know, going on unknown land and running the risk of running over a proximity mine. So as we're you know, going back and trying to find a road, I feel like the sergeant gets spooked out because it looks like we're going into Iraq. We can't really tell because 
Um, where we were at, the only thing that kind of divided it is in some areas it had big uh, sand berms. And then um, in other areas, there really wasn't much of anything. Um, so you wouldn't know whether at, at what point, whether you were in Iraq or you were in Kuwait uh, territory sometimes. So the, I, I want to say that he got super spooked out, thought we were, you know, in the, in the wrong area. He decides to gun the seven time vehicle and we're just boom, you know, so we're driving super fast. Now over there in the middle East, the sand is super fine, super fine. And a lot of it starts to kind of do this, like it's got little dunes and stuff like that because of the, the, the it, there's crazy sandstorms over there. So the, you know, the, the sand dunes started making us start bumping and the seven ton, um, seat has like a, it, it's got like, uh, it bounces and stuff like that. It's like air and it's kind of like air riding and it's got a little bit of a bounce to it. So when the sergeant's driving, he's sitting here launching on this chair and we're wearing Kevlar's and stuff like that as we're driving. Cause that's one of the recommend, you know, you have to wear a Kevlar as you're driving these seven tons in a flat jacket. So it, as we're driving, he's starting to launch in the chair. Well, he hits one of these dunes really hard, hits his head on top of the uh, seven ton cap, knocks himself out. And as he's coming down, his foot keeps hitting the gas and, and it's making us accelerate and we're going faster and faster. And I mean, every time the dude comes out, boom, it's just like, it's just, it's just making us whiplash. And at this point in time, it's starting to feel like I'm on like a bucking bull. And at one point in time, he ends up basically, and like I said, he's knocked out and I can hear him snoring and I'm trying to like hold him down and I can't because of how violent it is. I'm trying to hold him and the, the, the seat's just bouncing like crazy. <laughs> and um, so he finally, it, the, the vehicle ends up launching and hits us into like a ravine and we smack into the ravine almost like head on and the sergeant's face just hits the windshield and whoosh, breaks the whole windshield he's gushing snoring and convulsing i know i hit like major whiplash i just like violently you know went forward um and i could just remember the seven ton sound was just it sound like it's gonna blow and you know the uh, motor t guy's like turn it off turn it off and you know the sergeant's over here convulsing and snoring and he's He's in a bad situation and I'm trying to like get my senses. It's like everything. I couldn't hear nothing. It's like I hear ringing. Um, and then the guys that were following us, they can't see either because of visibility and they're flying and they end up flying into the same ravine. But thank goodness they end up landing to the side of us. And so they, they just barely missed us. And, um, at this point in time, we have destroyed two seven ton big vehicles. Um, and now we, we don't have any comms on us and our, our cell phones aren't working out here. So, um, at this point in time, I decide I'm going to go ahead and run up to a road and try to flag down anybody I could see. Now, this is kind of a sketchy situation because we're out in the middle of nowhere and we probably got like two rounds I mean, uh, two, uh, mags each worth of rounds, you know, and there's like a total of, I think six of us out here 
and we were not planning on you know being gone for more than like an hour so um we go running i go running up to this road and i i flag down thank god it's americans two two army guys driving in a humvee and i tell them hey man i got we got a sergeant he's unconscious we just got in a uh, wreck and um, we can really use your guys's help so He's like, all right, man, don't worry. We're going to get up. We're going to get a medevac in here right away. And I'm just like, oh, sheesh. Okay. So he go, they go over, they see the sergeant. He's finally at this point in time, he's kind of coming to, he's like, guys, he's got a huge gash on his forehead, um, from hitting the windshield. And, um, like I said, he, he's kind of, uh, not knowing where he's at, knowing what time it is. He's definitely in a daze. So they get a, a medevac in and they're worried about me uh, because of there was no shoulder strap or anything. I was just in the, basically a belt, um, the belt strap that just went over your uh, lap. So then I, when I flew forward, I had a very, like a really bad um, whiplash. And so they're, they're, they're concerned that I might have some kind of neck damage or even back damage. So they want me to get on this helicopter and go with the sergeant over to the hospital. Well, I get onto uh, the helicopter, you know, and they don't have me strapped down or nothing at this point in time. I'm just, you know, kind of there. And the sergeant, he's been strapped down and stuff, and he's on a, um, a backboard. Well, once we fly into the Kuwaiti hospital, they have like this team of people out there waiting for us. Well, like they're treating us like major trauma, um, you know, uh, victims. Uh, so they come out full teams. They got these beds, everything. They, and they get me on the bed. They, and then they end up putting me in like a neck strap, this yellow neck strap, man. And I mean, it's like, it, it feels like it's constricting me. I feel like I'm getting constricted by a snake. Um, and I'm trying not to panic, you know, and they're like getting me on the stool and they're like, don't move you. We don't want you to go paralyzed. And I'm thinking, my gosh, why are they treating me like this? Like I ran up to a road, ran, you know, came back on that. They put me on a helicopter, you know, not laying down. Now I get to this place and now I'm a trauma victim and they're treating me like, you know, like I'm, I'm like, you know, going paralyzed or something or I broke my neck. So, <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm on this gurney. They reel me in. They're like, all right, we need to take him over to x-rays and get him x-rayed right away. And so I'm like, all right, whatever. Um, they take me over into the x-ray area and it's this big tube like thing that I got to go into. It's like kind of like coffin status. And they're like telling me, you know, I'm going to be in there for like 45 minutes to an hour or something. It's some, you know, quite a long time. And they're saying you can't move at all during this time. You know, so, all right, whatever. They go ahead, they get me into the, the tube. And, you know, as the tube's kind of starting to go, I'm starting to feel the urge that I got to piss. Like, and I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> this can't be happening to me, man. No way. You know, these guys just got done telling me, you know, uh, it's going to be a long time. You can't move. You know, we if we stop, we got to start all over. And so I'm like, gosh, dang, I don't really want to start this whole process all over again. But I'm sitting there, and, and the longer I'm sitting there, it's like the piss urge is coming so bad I can't even hold it no more. And I'm like, "Hey, 
I'm sorry, but I got to go pee. I got to stop this. He's like, hey, man, if you stop it, you're going to be starting it all over again. He's like, come on, you're a Marine. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm a Marine that's got to piss. I really got to go, bro. Like, I'm sorry. Just pull me out. I'll start this thing all over again. Whatever. I don't care. I, and so he uh, went ahead and um, pulls me out. And uh, I'm like, okay. And they won't unstrap me. They won't let me, you know, get out of this gurney. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to pee? They're like, hey, go find this guy, like a Gatorade bottle or something. I mean, no way. So the one guy's like, hey, I actually have one. And um, he was like, all right, we'll go get it. So the guy comes back with his Gatorade bottle. I'm like, oh, no. And so I can't do nothing. My hands are strapped. Everything's strapped. These guys have to sit there kind of undo me, help me get my shit going. And I and I have to have these guys sit there, hold a cup as I'm trying to pee in it. And, like, it, it, it's just the most uncomfortable situation um, that I could possibly remember. I mean, you know, here I am like, oh, my gosh, bro. I got to pee. And now I got to pee in front of all these guys. And it's like. I ain't gonna lie when it first started to happen and I, the pee didn't come out immediately too. Cause I am like somewhat got that stage fright. <laughs> like, man, can I pee in private, man? Like, so anyhow, I go pee. They put me back into this machine after the machine. They, uh, get me up into a room. Well, the room they go and put me into, it's got these sick British soldiers in there. And I mean, these dudes, they look rough. Um, the room's super dark. Uh, these guys got like, they, they got like curtains, like, you know, like plastic curtains. I'm like, why are they put me in a room with some really sick people, man? Like these guys don't seem like they, they got injuries. They seem like they're sick. So, you know, I'm just sitting there and, and I'm also starting to have really bad anxiety and stressing out and feeling claustrophobic for that. And then the thing on my neck is really starting to feel like it's super constricting. I'm like, and I'm like getting to the level of like, I'm starting to panic. So I end up loosening it up and just like to the point where I felt comfortable. And, um, that didn't go over very well with an army officer who was the doctor. He came in and saw that I had loosened up my, you know, uh, neck brace and he was like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, you could go paralyzed. Do you realize you could, if you have any kind of neck damage and you make any kind of wrong move, you can never move for the rest of your life. And I'm just like, okay, I hear you. He's like, and you're a Marine and you want to take this off. You can't back of your bitch. Like, just going off, like literally uh, reaming my ass. And I'm just sitting there like, fuck this guy, man. I'm like, goodness. So as he's kind of ripping my ass, here comes my lieutenant and some of my, my, one of my good buddies, Ojeda comes and I'm like, Hey, Lieutenant, listen, check it out, man. I cannot stay here, sir. I have to leave this place. I can't be here with these guys in that army, uh, captain. He, he's just, you know, he has it out for me now, man. Cause I just can't listen to his dumbass things. I, I was like, I literally ran and I did, you know, I told him my whole story of how, you know, I didn't feel like, oh my gosh, I didn't break my neck or nothing serious like that. I mean, I, yeah, I felt like it's super strained and like my back hurt and 
my neck was all stiff, but you know, it didn't feel like I had like a broken bone. So I'm pleading with uh, my lieutenant. They want to try to keep me overnight. And I'm just like, come on, man. <laughs> Let me go back. So he was able to talk them into uh, releasing uh, me to them. And the sergeant that I was with, he had to stay overnight. He was uh, majorly concussed. He had to get several stitches down the center of his um, head. And um, so they wanted to definitely keep him and observe him. He stayed I got to go back to uh, my camp. And then um, finally, they let me kind of chill. I wouldn't say I really got to chill, but I, you know, had to take it easy for the next day or two. So I'll kind of get ready, guys, through how life was on uh, camp prior to uh, war actually getting started and us taking on the first missile. So. Basically, um, during Monday through Saturday, it was kind of like a normal, like you would go to your respective areas. I was supply. Um, and we, during our time, what we were doing is we were steadily busy. For one, we had these big 20 foot containers full of gear. So we were constantly going in and out of those, um, making sure that, um, you know, they all had the proper gear uh, in them and we kind of had to organize them because they were totally disorganized from being on all the ships and other people going in them so that was kind of one of the things they, one of the big responsibilities they had us doing in supply as well as like they really were adamant as building a big scud bunker and so um we had a we try to use like the combat engineers they had a uh, big tractor trailer sometimes we got them to kind of initiate and dig a, a, an initial um, hole for us. Then we went and started finding like um, these things called Air Force pallets. And I'm laughing because I'll tell you about that Air Force pallet. Um, and then there's these big, they call them like Texas barriers or something like that. And they're like a big concrete thing. And so we dug these big holes, inserted uh, the, the um, concrete things. Okay, and then on the outside of those concrete things, we enforce these things called Air Force pallets. And there's the big metal, huge pallets, okay? And they're very uh, hefty and, and, and durable. Well, uh, as we are adding on the Air Force pallets, <laughs> here comes uh, some guy who's in charge of these Air Force pallets or knows about these Air Force pallets. And it was like, like ripping into my staff sergeant about it because of the cost of how much these, um, things cost and, and, uh, that we're sitting here using them, you know, in the dirt and there's no way that we're going to be able to, you know, salvage them after this. And he, in my staff sergeant's like, fuck your, you know, fuck your pallets. You know, we're trying to save lives over here. And that's what we're using them for is we're, we're reinforcing our walls and stuff like that with these. And, um, I, I mean, at this point in time, the things were already dug. There's no way that they're coming out. It was more or less of this guy kind of trying to flex on the stats art and the stats aren't, man, my stats aren't, wasn't no weak bitch. That dude was a big bodybuilder. He was in, in the Marine Corps bodybuilding team, just a big dude. And, um, he didn't take shit, man, from nobody. So, um, he wasn't you know down for that crap 
and uh we used them and and we ended up covering the whole thing and we made this huge berm and reinforced it all we had this um we had to do sandbags and eventually we found out that they made um sandbag makers where you can dump like uh like uh some sand in it and then you just push this like uh thing with your foot and all the sand fills into the bag tie up the, the bag you know go and throw it down and you just keep on doing that well you know um that saved us a lot of time other than someone having to kind of hold it open and then someone shoveling because those bags are not easy for one person just to try to fill it up with i mean if if you have a staff sergeant who's pissed at you he probably would make you go fill a sandbag by yourself and have fun with that <laughs> um but anyways that scud bunker would end up being a huge you know thing that we would use a lot uh once uh we started getting bombed on and stuff like that um but anyways now that uh was kind of the things that we did now on sundays they would have kind of like a free day and uh, it was like they would have uh vendors come in from all these different vendors they would they would be selling stuff um like let me see right here i have this lighter that brought this back because if you smoked or something see boom it's like a windproof lighter still works but uh this is something like <laughs> they would sell at these little swap meets they were like basically little swap meets and the, the vendors uh those guys would be like bling 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 and they'd be trying to sell stuff and a lot of us over there were really into buying dvds but these dvds were bootleg dvds it would be literally someone who had set their videotaped as they're watching the movie in the theater you know because you'd be watching one of your dvds that you bought from one of these guys sometimes you would find a decent copy where you had to, someone who knew how to film but then you get those one bunk or so uh, DVDs that weren't very good. And then as you're watching, you're seeing people standing up and then walking. And you're like, oh, there's <laughs> there's the bootleg. So, um, but anyways, it, it was something to kind of break, break up the, the, you know, the monotony of everyday living and you know waiting for combat and building up for combat and when is the combat coming or you know when are we going into combat so um and also what they would do on these sundays is they would open up what they called the dojo and they would make boxing uh matches and um they would have guys go into weight classes they would wear the whole gear and they would go in and do a whole boxing match. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, those were a lot of fun, and it, and, and, and it didn't matter um, whether you were you know Marine, Army, Navy, uh, from the UK, Australia, whatever. If you wanted to fight, all they did is wade you in and made sure that they you know matched you up with someone around your weight class, and then they put you guys in the dojo, man, and just let you fight it out. Um, those were a lot of fun. Then there was also the off the, the grid dojos <laughs> and the hooches, you know, in the tents where, uh, some of us would fight. I, I did take, uh, one of, uh, my PFCs that, uh, me and him always kind of had some words with each other. 
didn't really like each other. So I just told the guy, like, you know what? Let's go ahead and box it out, man. Uh, I'll take off my rank and stuff like that because I was an NCO and he was a PFC. So I was kind of concerned that if I put hands on the guy, I can lose my rank and stuff like that. Definitely, I had a lot more to lose. So I said, you know, let's go to the hooch, man. We'll put on, you know, the gear and we can box it out, bro. Like, you know, I'm just tired of you running your fucking mouth. And, um, and I know he didn't really like me either. So we go back into the hooch, man, this dude comes like we put on the gear and everything. He comes, you know, hell making like this. Like, I mean, I don't even know where the hell he learned how to fight, but literally I just took a step back and I was just took the nicest, good right punch to his fucking chin, dude, knocked him down. And he, and I'm sitting there like, Oh no, he's kind of not, he's not talking. He's like trying to come to, and I'm like, oh, shit, I knocked this dude out and now I'm in trouble, you know? And so we're all sitting there like, you're all right, bro. You're all right. Well, I mean, he finally comes to you and shit, but I mean, after that, I didn't, you know, I don't think him and I had as much problems and that was kind of the nice way of, uh, being in the Marine Corps. Sometimes when you had a little bit of some problems, you just take it to the tree line, so to speak, you take off your blouses, take off the rank and just. Fight it out, man. Get your little problem out of the way and then move on and, and, and go about your business and get the mission accomplished. Cause you know, you, at the end of the day, you're going to need each other. Um, we may not like each other, but you're going to need each other. Um, so what else? Um, and there was a lot of times to, um, uh, being in supply, we had to run out into town and, um, go, uh, you know, pick up things using American express cards. Uh, things that we couldn't wait for to get from the state side because a lot of the things that we were getting from the state side were, you know, floating over from a ship or either that coming over from a plane and not all of it would get to us in a timely manner. So that would, you know, make us and force us have to go into town and uh, go to these vendors and try to buy stuff. So one of the requirements in the, uh, when we were packing and being in supply is they wanted us to have some kind of civilian attire with us. So that way, when we went out into town, we wouldn't be going out there in camis and stuff like that. And so, um, I had, you know, my sets of civilian attire and we would go into town. Um, we had to, uh, wear a bulletproof vest. Uh, we usually carried a nine millimeter with us and, uh, two, uh, two mags, um, two clips. Um, and, uh, what else? Oh, also, okay. Let me, so I'll give you guys a good story of when I went out into town one time and, um, it was two different vehicles that I, and if you guys listen to, uh, Stas Art Mies interview, um, he also talks about this story, but we drive into, um, town. We're going to a hotel and that's kind of where we usually park. We had some business to go do down the street. Well, we leave and get out of our vehicle. I have my nine millimeter. I have one clip inserted in and my other clip, I realized I left it inside the vehicle kind of in the console. And you're not really supposed to leave any, any of your rounds, uh, weapons or anything like that un, unattended or left by itself. So we were in town and stuff like that. And, 
um, as we're like heading back to the hotel, we notice there's like all these like streets are being blocked off. And we're like, dude, what the fuck is going on? We're like, oh no, you know, we're, we're out here and something's going on. So we're trying to get information of like what the hell is going on. And we, we start to learn like, oh gosh, there's something happened at the hotel where we're parked at. And you know, they're like, there's uh they found a bomb in a vehicle and we're like, what? No shit. So they're like, yeah, you guys are going to have to wait for a little while. They're, you know, sitting in the bomb squad and they're going to go ahead and um, check out this bomb. Wow. All right. So now we're like, okay, so we're not really thinking much of it. So we hear the boom that we, we literally hear a boom. Um, <laughs> and within, after that boom, I say within like 30 minutes, 45 minutes or so, they cleared up the streets and they, we were allowed to go back to the hotel. So we go back to the hotel and we're walking up and down the, the parking lot and, you know, we can't find our vehicle. I'm like, Hey, that's I swear it was parked right here. He's like, yeah, I know. And so we're like, okay, so we, let's go talk to, you know, the front desk. So we go talk to the concierge guy, the front desk. And he's like, oh, your guys' vehicle might've been the one that got blown up. We were like, what? No way. But like, yeah, they're like, uh, the dog hit your guys' car for a bomb. And we're like, what? No way, dude. Like, and we're thinking, did someone plant a bomb on our shit? So, you know, uh, we're like starting to kind of like freak out, like, wow. Well, they're like, all right, now we need to take you guys over to the Kuwaiti police station. They got your vehicle over there. The, 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 you know, the police want to talk to you guys and everything. We're like, okay. So we go to the police station and, uh, you know, we sit down and we see the vehicle. We see the vehicle as we're driving up and the vehicle, it has no windows on this vehicle at all. They are blown out. They blew out the back. Like the, it was like a hatchback. They blew out that whole like hatchback and all the windows. Um, it was kind of like an Explorer type vehicle. Uh, we're blown out. It was, it was, like badly damaged and i'm thinking oh my gosh bro they blew that shit up bad like that's that like that's not good <laughs> that's not good so um we get in there and we come to find out that the dog hit on ordnance which were ammunition which were my rounds that i had left in there that I left in one of my magazines in in the console um and <laughs> oh man i was like oh my gosh i'm in trouble i'm in trouble they fucking blew that son of a bitch up because i left my shit behind and you know i'm like oh i hope these guys got my back man so i'm trying to like go through it with my buddy ojeda and because him and i were both in the same car and i'm trying to we're trying to like make sure I'm like, bro, we got to see, I, I, I got to, you know, I can't tell him, bro. Like, that's my stuff, dude. Like, I don't know what, you know, well, the staff sergeant that we were with, he was super cool about it. That's Sassar Meath. If you guys hadn't had a chance to go listen to his interview, go check it out. But he basically saved my ass in that whole situation. Um, didn't report it back to, you know, the command saying that, you know, it was my bad we had gas mask and all kinds of stuff in there. 
And we just basically said that they probably hit on something to that effect. Not that it was my clip or my magazine, my magazine in there. Um, you know, so I got my ass kind of saved on that one. My, my staff started the one that I had talked about earlier, the bodybuilder guy, he was less than thrilled with me because at this point in time, I've damaged a couple vehicles and it, and it's literally not like by on purpose or anything. It just, I'm, he called me the bad luck guy. So, <laughs> and it kind of was that way, man. I was driving one of the vehicles and uh, went to go roll down the window and the freaking window just dropped all the way down. Like, like my, like, Oh man. And then another time, we're trying to drive into base and all of a sudden the vehicle just stalls out. It just straight up dies on us. Well, this alerts the base. The, like the guys that are on watch at Camp Commando that, you know, are uh, doing duty and, and, and guarding the base, it puts them on alert because we end up dying like, like I don't know, maybe 100 meters away from the base. It does look sketchy. So now they got a vehicle that's just stopped and, and not doing nothing. And, and, you know, we're getting out trying to, like, you know, flag them down. But we don't want to get our ass shot either because, you know, we know that these guys are heavily alerted and on guard right now. And so they come over with their Humvees and they figure out, oh, these guys are Marines. And they're like, oh what you know what do you guys need us to do they're like well the, the car died on us man we need to get towed back in or something so they had to get on the intercom try to get in touch with everybody and this is going through the whole base like that this whole thing's happening and now they gotta bring out like uh, a humvee with some chains and good thing like you know we're good buddies with motor t guys so they come over they bring their chain hook it up and they got to drive us into back into the base. And here we are just driving in the base, like fucking, it's like a parade at this point in time. Cause everybody's just sitting there fucking laughing at us. Like, uh, you know, cause we, we did create somewhat of a stir, uh, on, on camp too, uh, being so suspicious like that. Uh, but you know, um, up until, oh, and then, other things that started doing is they would bring in like um, uh, what they is they called it Hardee's. So some of you guys know it as Hardee's, the West Coast. We know it as Carl's Jr. Um, basically the same thing. They ended up bringing something like that in camp. And uh, I think it was like, a, what else did they bring in there? Oh, a KFC. And maybe one other thing. But they started trying to bring, you know, um, those kind of like little things onto base. So that way we weren't stuck eating so much like MRE type stuff because when there was cafeteria there that served chow, but it was, um, it is very cafeteria type food. And the other thing about eating over there in the middle East was the flies. There are amazingly deep and they come in mobs, man. I mean, you'd be sitting there just trying to eat your food and you're <laughs> You're trying to blow them off your, your spoon, man. I mean, it does get to the point where you're kind of like getting sick, sick by it, you know, like, oh, this is kind of gross. You know, I don't know if I can eat this shit no more, you know? <laughs> but, um, it's legit. It, it is, uh, you're just, there is, um, immense amount of 
flies. I can't even ex uh, express that enough. If you've been over there, you can totally contest to that. Um, but uh, that was quite the experience and uh, did not like having to eat at the cafeteria if I didn't have to because it was just a fly fest there. And it was gross. But uh, anyways, guys, I'm going to go ahead and probably cut it off here. I I know I've ran my set for quite a, quite a while here. Um, the next show, when we're going to get into the next episode, I'm going to go ahead and start talking about when uh, we had incoming missiles hit us and when the day actual war started, which was uh, March 8th for us at Camp Commando. Um, but... Anyways, I hope you guys are really enjoying this show. If you guys haven't had a chance to subscribe, like the show, please go ahead and do so. That will really help me out. Otherwise, I hope you guys have a great day, and God bless. Boom. Take care.